I'd like to introduce Kerry, our speaker tonight. She's going to be talking on step 10. Hi, I'm Kerry. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Kerry. First, I really want to thank uh, Mary Beth for asking me to speak tonight. Um, this group has been, <laughs> it was really instrumental in my recovery. Um, when I first was introduced to uh, the people in this room, I had an idea about what the steps were, and I had read the big book, and I'd gone to, you know, some Joe and Charlie workshops, and they were great. But I, I, I knew the mechanics, but I didn't understand the spiritual principles um, that were incorporated in the steps. So I knew how to write a four-step, but I knew how to make amends. I knew how to do other things, but I didn't really understand the depth of this program. And it was the people in this, in this, in this room and the people who were in, in this meeting who taught me these things. So it is um, a privilege and a pleasure and an honor to be sitting at this table um, I can't, you know, I can't express the amount of gratitude I have for this meeting. Um, and it's wonderful to be back here after so many years. Um, you know, I, I, I left this meeting and I went out and I lived my life. And um, I've, God has graced me with so many different things. And it's just so wonderful to be able to come back and say, look, you know, this is what this program gives you. You know, um, just real briefly about myself so that, you know, just so you can understand where I'm coming from. Um, my sobriety date is September 6, 1994. I'm 30 years old. I live in North Arlington, New Jersey. I have a sponsor. Um, her name is Kim. I uh, have a home group, and it's the Howland Wyatt group. And uh, I have, you know, I work with women. I sponsor, and um, I'm very active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe that it's extremely important. Um, I got sober very young. And so, you know, I did a lot of my growing up in the work, in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I had no idea how to live. I mean, I remember when I was talking about Step 10 with my sponsor, and I was like, I don't understand when this, this book talks about a vision of God's will for me. I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> and she was like, well, you know, since you have no experience living, how about I'll tell you what you need to do, and then we'll figure it out together. Because I didn't know how to pay bills. I didn't know about having a bank account. I didn't know about, I mean, that first time I went to get a bank account, I cried. I burst out crying because I didn't remember how to spell my mother's maiden name. You know, so I mean, like, I've come a long way through the grace of God in this program. So when I'm ta when I think about Step 10, there have been different ways that I've done it over the years, different ways that I've taught, different ways that my sponsors have taught me to do it. The way that I'm currently working Step 10 is much different than the way that I have in the past. It's a more hands-on, more accountable, more direct way. It's not in any way um, better than any other way of doing it. It's just the way that works best for me because I'm extremely sick. I'm an extremely sick alcoholic, and my ego rebuilds very, very quickly. And um, I, I do the work to not do the work. Have you ever heard that? I'm somebody, I look like I'm doing the work. I'm sponsoring, I'm writing four steps and helping everybody. And meanwhile, I think I'm doing it. Because I'm special. Don't you know what I do? I save little children. You know, and meanwhile, like, you know, my ego becomes attached to that which I do in Alcoholics Anonymous, becomes attached to what I do in my life, and then all of a sudden, there's no more God, I'm God. And I'm relying entirely on self. I look like I'm doing all the right things, and meanwhile, I'm dying inside. You know, so my sponsor has me do a more, um, I like to call boot camp, step 10. So that's what I'm going to share about. But, I mean, mind you, this is my experience. So I'm not telling you that you have to do this. I'm just telling you what works for me. 
Um, and what I have some some of the women that I work with do. Not all the women that I work with do 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 ten step the way that I do it because they're not as sick as I am. <laughs> so that would be that being said, um, you know, uh, we're, what I'm simply going to do is I'm going to take different parts of the ten step and I'm going to break it down and talk about my experience with it. Um, so it says that, you know, what is step ten? It says, which suggests that we continue to take our personal inventory and set right any mistake as we go along. So, I mean, that's already assuming, Bill's already assuming that I'm going to screw up. And I'm going to, because I'm an alcoholic. I'm human. I'm fallible. I have character defects. And, you know, and I fall short at all times. I mean, in any given day, you know, I'm going to screw somebody over. You know, the fact is, is that I'm more awake to it today than I have been in the past. Um, you know, and I'm and I'm aware enough to be able to set right a lot of the wrongs that I'm doing in my life. Doesn't mean that I don't fall asleep to some of them, or that I don't realize three or four days later that I really did something bad two days ago, or three or four days later I did two days ago. Get that one. But I mean, basically, that I don't realize a couple days later after talking to my sponsor that I've had a resentment that I've been nursing for a long time and just didn't want to look at it. You know. But I mean, the idea is that I'm gonna I'm gonna stay current with my with my spiritual life because anything that I let slip is the thing that's going to come between me and God. You know, because the thing is, is this, at this point, there's nothing between me and that bottle but God. And if I, if I fall short, and I'm going to, but if I allow myself too much latitude with this step, I'm going to start thinking that I'm God again. And then I'm going to want to pick up that bottle. Or I'm going to do something very destructive, which will eventually bring me back to the bottle. Because in the end, what my sponsor taught me was that these steps are about me and the bottle and God. That it's not so much about you, but about me, the bottle and God. Now, how I treat you has a lot to do with me, the bottle and God. But in the end, this is what it's all about. You know, and whether or not I drink again. And serving God helps me not to do that. Or puts me in a position in which it's removed. Um, so I commence this way of living as I clean up the past. That tells me that I start to do this when I start making was I start writing inventory. There's some people who differ on that, and I don't really argue with that. It's just I find that it's easier for me to, or it was easier for me to do it this way, and it's easier for the women that I work with to start start living the ten step and reading pages 84 to 86 um, in their morning meditation when they start writing their inventory. Um, because why do I want to make more uh, garbage and havoc while I'm trying to clean it up? And I'm trying to get a look at my causes and conditions. If I'm trying to see this, one of the best ways to do that is to watch it in my daily life. Um, you know, it says that we've entered the world of the spirit. That our, our next function is grown understanding and effectiveness. And that, to me, is like the crux of this step. It tells me exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, when we talk about that arch through which we shall pass the freedom that we're building, you know, in this step, in the steps, this archway is the is the entrance to the world of the spirit. So this is telling me that when I do this, when I get to this point in my life that, or my recovery, I really need to have a relationship with God. But this is where that relationship really comes into play. This is the daily work of this relationship. You know, up until this point, I was building those relationships, and now it's present. It's a daily part of my life. It's part of who I am, part of how I live. You know, so I'm living in this world of the spirit. You know, it's not an abstract thing for me. It's not something that I do over there. It's something that's a part of who I am. We talked about earlier about a design for living, and that's exactly what this is. You know, it says that my, my job is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. That's my job. That's my, like if I had a mission statement, if God said, Carrie, here's your direction for the day. That's my direction, is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. 
You know, we talked about earlier, it says it talks about fitting myself to be a maximum service to God and others. It says that, you know, work and self-sacrifice for others is, you know, my sobriety or my abstinence and alcohol is dependent upon my work and self-sacrifice for others. So what it's telling me here is my mission statement, my job for the day, my job from this point on is to grow and understand the effectiveness so I can better serve God. And I better serve God by being kind to his children. I mean, this is my belief system. And again, this is what I'm taught. You know, so how do I do that? Well, I continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. I watch for them. When they crop up, I ask God to remove them. I discuss them immediately with someone to make amends if I've harmed anyone. Now, my sponsor has me do exactly that. So, today, I had a bad day. I had a bad day. I had, I had a day in which was, which was very, very stressful. Um, it was a good day, but it was a stressful day. I stopped and I did about five, ten steps today. That for me is a bad day. That means that Carrie was getting disturbed. I had that thing in the corner of my head, trying to think and looking around and I stopped. And I said, okay, what's going on here? I'm being selfish. I'm being dishonest. How am I being selfish and dishonest? Okay. People aren't behaving the way I want them to. I'm delusional that I can have control over this and I'm playing God. So then I said, God, please, remove this from me. And then I pick up my cell phone. God bless cell phones. I pick up my cell phone. My sponsor's on speed dial. Hi, Kim. I'm being selfish. Do you have my, do you have time for a 10 step? Just a second. Sure. Hi, Kim. I'm being selfish. So-and-so is not behaving the way I want them to. I'm dishonest because I'm delusional that I can have control over this situation, and I'm playing God. I ask God to remove it. I'm telling you, is there anything I could do for you today? And she might say, well, sure, I have a 10 step for you, or do this, or can you call so-and-so? And then she says, no, turn your attention, or she might say, turn your attention to someone else. I say, okay. Hang up the phone, and then I go do something nice for someone else. That's when Sounds kind of crazy. And it's like, wow, that's really drastic. When I first got those instructions, I'm like, I'm not calling you when I'm disturbed. I'm going to think about it. I might have some inventory on it. I'll call you later. I'll call you later. You know, and I fought it. I didn't want to do it. And I was like, it was, it's really humbling to be disturbed over something really petty. And to pick up your phone and say, look, I'm disturbed. You know, I'm being selfish. I'm being selfish in traffic. I'm being selfish in here. I'm being selfish. You know how many times a day I pick up the phone and say I'm being selfish? So when I first started to do this, maybe I called ten times a day. And I used to, I used to apologize. I'm like, I'm sorry I'm calling you again. I'm very, very spiritually sick. And they'd laugh. <laughs> and there's a handful of people that I call. I mean, I don't just call the same person. I call a handful of people, and there are people that I know. I said, look, can I call you with ten steps? Sure. You know, and I even speak, I even call my sponsees. I might be on the phone with a sponsee talking to them about their problems, and there's somebody who parked me in in the parking lot. I'll say, can, can, can I do a 10 step with you right now? I've sat, I'm in, class, uh, I'm in college, and um, I'm a brat, and I, you know, I'm 30 years old, and I'm in college with a bunch of people who are much younger than me, and I can, I can be very spiritually sick. And I'm sitting there, and somebody will answer their cell phone in class, or I didn't get the grade I expected, or my professor's not lecturing to my standard, and I'll turn to the person next to me, because it's kind of rude to pick up the phone, and I'll say, you know what, I'm being really judgmental and selfish. And uh, I'm being unfair to this, this professor, I'm being unfair to this person, I'm being really dishonest. You know, is there anything I could do for you? That's simple. And I'll tell you what, it changed my life. It used to be that I had to do that ten times a day. Today was a bad day, I did it five times. I can go an entire day without having to pick up my phone 
because I'm present in the moment. Because I don't sit with this stuff. My nightly review, and I know that's going ahead, my nightly review is I did a 10-step on this, this, and this, and this. There's very few things that I get to my nightly review that I haven't already talked about, taken taken a look at, asked God to remove. I get to the end of the day, and I put my head on the pillow. I do that review, and there's no, there's no, you know, churning in my head about the amends I have to make. Because I already did that all day long. Now, mind you, there's stuff I missed. And there are times when I'll be in denial about a resentment that I think I'm annoyed. And my sponsor says that being annoyed is like being pregnant. You know, you're never just a little bit pregnant. You're never just a little bit annoyed. You're resentful. It's just a nice way of saying it. You know, so I mean, there are times when I, I maybe don't do this as, as rigorously, and I pay for it. But I have to tell you, I've been doing it for two years, and it changed my life. Um, it changed the way that I practiced step 10. It, 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 it changed my accountability. There's very few things I skate on. There's very few things I get away with. And my sponsor knows if I haven't called in two days, and I'm lying. You know? And he's like, so uh, why didn't you call in the 10 steps? You doing really good? Really? Okay. What about that? You know, weren't you, like, pissed off at your mother-in-law last week? Yeah. And what happened with that? And then all of a sudden, like, it's like, no, I'm lazy, and I haven't been calling. <laughs> You know, but the point is, is this, is that I get held accountable to such a degree that um, that my sponsor can see when my ego is rebuilding when I can't. Because I, how do I know what I don't know? You know, you, I know you guys have heard that a million times, and I know you've heard, you know, there's a, you know, it's been said a hundred times, you know, you know, being asleep, dreaming that I'm awake. Now I'm I'm an alcoholic, and that happens to me. I fall asleep at the wheel all the time, and I have to have a support network. I need to have people in my life in order to point that out to me. Now, God obviously works in my life, and I, I am way more aware than I've ever been, and I am way more present than I've ever been, and I walk through my day practicing the presence of God. But I tell you what, and my sponsor explained to me that following directions, and this is, this is what I do every day with this concept, is really following directions. Um, she explained it to me like this. I'm checking the time here. Um, that, you know, God is a very abstract thing. When, we, when I talk about God, we talk about God, and we often talk about God in, like, you know, sort of philosophical terms. We talk about God in, you know, you know sort of an abstract, you know, construction. You know, you know, we, we, learn, we realize, you know, we do this work long enough, and God becomes a part of us in here. But when I speak about God, I'm speaking about God, I'm thinking about God. Um, often... Often it's kind of hard to, to just turn your will in your life and everything that you have and all your character defects, all your all your shortcomings, all these things over to a higher power, a higher power that's even hard to wrap your mind around and describe. But I tell you what, to do it to a human being and proxy for a higher power is very freeing. And it sounds stupid. I mean, I just have to call somebody when I'm disturbed. That's simple. And it sounds kind of... It's like, well, you know, is your sponsor, is she really tough? And if I don't do it, do I get yelled at? No, I get love. You know, and I don't, it's not like I get beaten up if I don't do it. It's not like if I called seven times in one day, she gets annoyed, because she doesn't, because half the time she tends steps with me. You know, I'm calling her an hour later, she's calling me. So it's not like that. But the thing is, is this, is that it's a symbolic thing. My surrender to my sponsor, my, my willingness to make this phone call, my willingness to stay present in the moment, my willingness to be accountable on a minute-to-minute, day-by-day, second-to-second basis is somewhat symbolic of my willingness to do that with God. Now, if I'm willing to do that with a human being, for me, in my experience, um, it makes it a little easier for me to do it with a higher power. 
that it's somewhat abstract. And so I began to have this experience with God on such an intimate, personal level. You know, and it happened because I surrendered to the direction of a human being. And it was, a, it was something, a direction that I thought was kind of silly. And I thought was sort of trivial. And I was like, well, I'm 12 years sober. Well, at the time, I was 10 years old. I'm 10 years sober. Why do I have to do what a newcomer does? And I realized today why I had to do it. You know, and to me, it, uh, it changed the way that I perceived step 10. Like I said, for me, it's, it's radical and it's different. And I'm not saying everybody in this room has to do it. But for me, it, it really did. It was very humbling. It is very humbling. It is very humbling, but you know what? I get I get nothing but love and no judgment. And uh, I get free. And I tell you what, I pick up a phone and I tell her where I'm doing selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened. I ask God to remove it. I put down the phone and it's gone. There's no residue. It's gone. It's removed from me. Absolutely removed. And I go about my day, and I'm clean. I'm absolutely clean. And how is that? How beautiful is that to be? You know, fighting with your husband, pausing, saying, "You know what, honey? I got to go make a phone call. Come back two minutes later. Say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and be full of love, and have whatever resentment I have removed." Because my big book tells me I can't wish away resentment any more than I can wish away my alcoholism. I have to surrender to my higher power. And that's why I go to God first, and then I go to another human being. And by doing that, it removes it. And by the time I'm writing my nightly review, I'm not gnashing my teeth at all those people who screwed me over during the day. I'm not even in that. I'm present in the moment. And I'm free of it. And I get to go through my day being free of all the little things that used to peck at me. You know, like I said, as I'm more spiritually sick than most, and there was something that it was required for me to do because of that, because I couldn't, I couldn't not pick up that phone, because I would, I would, I would wrap my mind around that resentment, and I would inventory it out, and I would take responsibility, but I'd still believe that you were more responsible. And I would call everybody up and I'd be like, can you believe what so-and-so did? This is in the spirit of the 10 step. I'm going to tell you their second column. And then I'll tell you my fourth column, acting like I took responsibility, but I really didn't. Because I just wanted to tell you how mean they were. No, I don't do that. When I call it, when I call in my 10 step, you don't hear my second column. So-and-so isn't behaving the way I want them to. That's my second column. There's no, so-and-so did this, can you believe? There's none of that. It, they're not behaving the way I want them to. I'm being selfish. This is why. And I don't live in that second column. I don't even go there. And that's why, you know, for me, you know, it it helps me not to get stuck in that groove, not to dig a ditch, not to get caught in resentment and fear, you know, not to get caught in that selfishness. And for me, it's a tool. Is is my sponsor, my my higher power? No. But is doing this for me. Helping me to get close to my higher power? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's extremely humbling and I have to depend on a human being. That means that I have to be intimate with a human being every day, go through my, my trivial bullshit. Every day. And that intimacy is beautiful because I trust her and she trusts me. And if you, and the other people that I share this with, I trust them and they trust me. And they call me with the same stuff. And it, it really is an absolutely beautiful thing because they see my warts and all. They don't just do inventory every couple months. 
they hear it every day how petty I could be. And, and it's funny because some of the, ten, what we call 10 step buddies, some of the people have paused and they're like, you know, you're really petty. And I'm like, I know, I know, I'm so petty. It's, it's, but I, but I own that pettiness and I, and I accept it and I ask God to remove it and they don't hide it because they don't have to. Because regardless of where that, where this goes or what this does, I'm a child of God. And, you know, this book tells me that I, I'm to stand on my feet. And I'm not going to be servile or scraper. So it doesn't matter to me whether or not I have character defects or I fall short or if I'm selfish and self-centered. I'm going to. I'm an alcoholic. I'm just lucky I didn't drink today. But the fact is, is that I have a power that works in my life that has brought me a solution to my problem. And that solution helps me to live each day and helps me to live clean and free of resentment and fear. And that, to me, were the things that were tells me that that my bottle is just a symptom. That my problem is really me. Because lack of power is my dilemma. And what that simply means is that I don't have the ability to be unselfish. I don't have the ability, ability to be honest. I don't have the ability to put the things that I know to be morally right. I don't have the ability to do that in my life. But I have to have a power greater than myself come into my life and do that for me. It means that I have to gain access to this power. I need to ask God to come into my life and to help me to do these things, because I'm as powerless over my spiritual condition as I am around alcoholism. So for me, asking people to help me to be accountable and be honest about my life, because I'm a liar, naturally, as an alcoholic, helps me to do that. You know, um, it goes on to say, and I, I stopped selling my uh, my instant 10-step stuff, but I mean, like I said, it was radical, but it, it really did change me. It says that... Um, it says that we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone who can help and that love and tolerance of others is my code. And again, that goes back to, you know, what my mission statement for this day is, is to be love and tolerance to others, to put myself to be of maximum service to God and others. It says that, you know, I'm supposed to grow my understanding and effectiveness, and this is part of how I do that. And it also tells me what what will happen if I live by this basis. I, I mean, honestly, guys, I sit up here and I, and I really do do what I say I'm doing. And you can ask the people in my life, because they've seen me do it. My kids laugh when I start to get irritated, when they're misbehaving, and I say, Mommy needs a timeout, and I pull out my cell phone. They think it's the funniest thing in the world. And there are times when they'll stop me, like, Mommy, did you do your timeout? I'm like, no, i got to go do it. You know? But my point is, is that, you know, I really do do this, and I'm not lying about it. This isn't something that I say that I do, I do every once in a while. This is my daily life, and this is what it looks like. And it sounds a little boring, but it actually really is fun. Um, it says that if I do this, it says that I'll cease fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. You know, and anything, you know, that's what I did my entire life. I, mean, I fought alcohol, I fought you, I fought for everything that I thought that I wanted. You know, and I demanded that God give me what I thought that I wanted for myself, because the fact is, is I thought that I was God. And I thought I could dictate the terms. Now we, you know, we learned earlier in this book that I have to stop playing God, and I have to stop thinking that I'm God, and then I have to start behaving like there is a God. <laughs> you know, not just say there's a God and then behave like I'm God, because that doesn't count. <laughs> but I actually have to do that. And once I start to do that and apply this to my life, this amazing thing happens. I cease fighting everything or anyone, even even alcohol. Alcohol is no longer an issue for me. You know, I can I can honestly say that I have gone many years without thinking about alcohol being a solution to my problem. That alcohol is not a temptation for me. That I've been facing a position of neutrality. That I'm safe and protected. But I recoil from the idea. And the thing is, what the neat thing is, is that, I don't know about you, but I'm, 
alcohol shows up for me in many different forms. And it shows up in the form of a bottle. It shows up in the form of relationships. It shows up in the form of, uh, of sex. It shows up in the form of money. It shows up in the form of approval, of ego, of material things. I don't know about you, but alcohol shows up for me in all those forms before it actually shows up as a bottle. So it's like, you know, I know you guys have all heard about working the steps backwards. Well, it's the same idea. But I pull out everything, all the human powers that I used before I picked up alcohol. And then I pull them out before I pick up alcohol and sobriety. So I pull out, you know, if only I lost five more pounds, I would be more spiritual and people would like me. You know, I pull out, if only I had a little bit more money. You know, if I had a better car, I would be happier in my life. I start pulling out all those things. You know, and so when it says to me that I'll be seldom interested in liquor, if I'm tempted, I'll be recoiled from a, I'll recoil from a hot flame, my sponsor taught me that not only will it be liquor or alcohol is in the liquid, it'll be the things that are symbolic of liquor in my life. The isms. And so when I get that idea like, well, if only I, you know, if I was just five pounds thinner, I'd be happier. You know, or if, you know, my husband, I love him very much, he's great, you know, but that got hotter. When I start thinking like that, I recoil like from hot flame. Because that to me is alcohol. That's alcohol speaking in a whole, wholly different form. Because what it wants me to do, it wants me to drink. And it'll talk to me. And it won't say, hi, Carrie, you want to walk into a bar. First it says, hey, Carrie, let's get spiritually sick so walking to a bar looks good. That's the way alcohol talks to me today. It comes at the point, from the flame. So when it says that I'll recoil from a hot flame, it means that I'll actually recoil from all, this, all of the symbolic versions of alcohol in my life. All like the isms. And that for me has been my experience. That the things that alcohol represents, or the things that bring me back to alcohol, I've become to be restored to sanity with those things too. Am I perfect? No. <laughs> but do I recoil from them when I start to get invested in them? Absolutely. You know, my sponsor used to tell me that I, that my ego likes to write, write checks that my spirit can't cash. And that for me is my experience. That I'll say, yeah, I can do anything. I could sponsor 30 women. I can, you know, go to school full-time, raise three kids, you know, have a business with my husband, take care of everybody, and I'll speak every week, you know, and my ego likes to write checks that my spirit can't cash, unless I'm held accountable and somebody says to me, like, hey, Carrie, you know, it seems to me like you're speaking an awful lot, or do you really think you need to take 18 credits? Can you just take 12 like a normal human being? Do you need to get A's every time? Can you just get a B? Can you accept getting a B? You know, I'm an alcoholic, and like I said, I will, my ego will grab onto anything, anything, before I'll grab onto God. <laughs> it fights. And so when, when we talk about this and we say that we've been placed in a position of neutrality, that we're, that we're safe and protected, for me, I've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected from the things that bring me back to alcohol as well as alcohol. That doesn't mean that I'm perfect, it doesn't mean that I don't ever fall short, but it means that if I'm tempted, I recoil from a hot flame, because I know that that experience has brought me. We talked about um, that we neither fight it nor avoid temptation, that we're placed in a, tra- in a place of neutrality, we're safe and protected, we've not even sworn off, and send the, instead the problem's been removed, it doesn't exist. We're neither cocky nor are we afraid. This is our experience so long as we keep in fit for this mission. You know, and I heard pe- I've heard people talk about the step, the 10 step is the maintenance step, and I don't like to call it that. I like to call it the, you know, the broadening and deepening step. I like to call think of it in the terms of getting to know God better, getting to know myself better, and learning to rely on God for everything, for all the little things. We talk, you know, we talk about, and I'm sure you guys have heard, 
you know, the thing called the second step proposition, we've got everything or we've got is nothing, what is there choice to do? This is where we put that proposition into action. This is where we live as if God is everything. Because this is where I truly go out and live my life. This is where I go out and I interact with my fellow human beings and I live as if God is going to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Because based on myself, I'm a selfish, self-centered alcoholic who will steal and lie, lie to your face. I'll steal your wallet and I'll tell you I didn't do it and I'll tell you so-and-so did it and meanwhile I'll manipulate and I'll do all kinds of things and I'll do that sober. I'll do that stark, raving sober. You know? So for me, and this is just my experience, that I have to live as if God is everything and this is where I do it. This is where I put that into practice and where I believe and I live as if God is 100% a part of everything that I do in my life. And there's not an area of my life in which God is not involved. Because if God is not involved in one area of my life, that area will invariably become unmanageable and bring me back to the bottle. It may not bring me back to the bottle through... It may take a few steps to get me there, but it'll get me there nonetheless. You know, so this is this is my experience. It tells me that we can't let up on our spiritual program of action. I'm headed for trouble if I do because alcohol is a subtle foe then I'm not cured of alcoholism. What I really have is daily reproof contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. For every day, I must carry the vision of God's will in all my activities and say, how best can I serve you, thy will, not mine, be done. Then I must carry these thoughts with me and exercise my willpower along my, these lines. This is the proper use of my will. And so it talks about, it says, you know, we talk about giving up our will. I've heard that talked about all the time in AA meetings. And, and I was like, wow, you know, you guys really haven't read your big book. Because this big book tells me, that I will learn to properly use my will. I don't give up my will, because giving up my will is giving up the very thing that God gave me that makes me a human being. What I do is I ask God to help me better apply my will. I ask God to direct me. You know, I ask God to be my, my director, to be my principal. I am his agent. And when I do that, it means that I'm asking God to show me how to better serve him and to do his will in my in all of my activities. You know, that I must carry these thoughts with me constantly and exercise my willpower along these lines. And again, like, it's not an easy thing to do. And it's really hard to talk about the 10th step without talking about it in the context of 10 and 11. Because they really go together. And it's unfair of me to, to go into that, you know, with the person coming next week because that's sort of stealing their thunder. But on the other hand, you know, these, these paragraphs are paragraphs that I bring into my meditation every morning. And there are things that I ask God to help me to do, because based on my own will, I'm incapable of doing it. But I know that if I ask God to help me to do these things, to pause an agitated gavel, to ask for the right better action, to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, to ask God to direct my thing, to ask, ask God to, how best can I serve these, I will not mind me down, to carry this into my daily life, and to live as if this is my purpose. Um, based on my own will, I'm not going to do that. But if I ask God to direct me, and I ask God to help me to do that, I find that God can do it for me. And what I mean by this is not that I just sit here and just say, God fix me, and I'm going to do nothing about this. It means that I bring this spirit forward into my life, and I act as if God is doing this for me, and God does. You know, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of people, and they talk about it, and they're waiting for God to fix them while they're sitting on their hands, and that's not my experience. My experience isn't that God is going to hit me in the head with a lightning bolt. My experience is that God has people in my life, those teachers, who show me how to how to live, how to do things, that teach me about the spiritual life. 
and that my job is to follow the directions of this book. And if I ask God to help me do that, that God will give me the strength, the courage, and the, and the will to do these things. And that I will learn to properly use my will. That doesn't mean that I don't fall short and make mistakes. This happens all the time. But it means that I, I've begun to, and it's in my experience, that I can trust my intuition more and more. That, you know, if I have a gut feeling about something and I don't listen to it, usually I find out that I make a big, made a big mistake. That when I'm living in this, it says, it talks about in the next paragraph, it says that much has been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from Him who has all knowledge and power. If we carefully follow these directions, we begin to send the flow of His Spirit into us. To some extent, we've become God conscious. We've begun to develop, to develop a vital sixth sense, and we must go further and take more action. And I find that when I'm living in this way, I'm living in constant companionship with my Creator, and I'm living in the present moment, and I'm not living in yesterday, I'm not living in tomorrow, and I'm pausing and I'm asking God to help me when I'm disturbed. I'm not living in the problem or the issues, and I'm living in, in, a, uh, in a manner in which serves God and not my ego and not myself or my alcoholism or any of those things. Um, that this, this does happen, and I do have a sixth sense, that I will intuitively know things that, you know, I'll be talking to a woman that I sponsor, and I'll, I'll know a situation, that it just, I can hear today, I can listen, because I'm not blocked by my own thoughts. I can actually hear what other people have to say without thinking out loud. You ever do that? You realize that somebody just told you an incredible, pers- incredibly personal thing, and you were so busy thinking about what they were saying that you didn't hear them? I used to do that all the time. And I used to pretend like I heard you. And I heard you, but I didn't really hear what you were saying. I heard your words. I didn't hear what you said. And this step helps me. And practicing it this way and being accountable in this way helps me not to think at you, but to hear you. To hear what your spirit is telling me about you. You know, and I'll listen to it. One of the women that I work with, what they said, and they said, this is what I heard, but this is what I think I heard. And I'm like, Tara, that's exactly what I mean. I, I couldn't say that. I didn't know how to say that. And I'm like, your spirit told me that. And it's not because I'm psychic. It's not because I have a crystal ball. It's because God has been able to come into my life to help me to get the hell out of your way. And that's where I can really be of service to you. That I can hear you and see you as God's child and not as a manifestation of me. Everything in my life was an extension of my ego. You were here to make me look good or make me feel better. And everything I did was about you making me feel better. And if you didn't do that, I spanked you on the hiney. And if you did that, I gave you a cookie. And that's how I live my life. And what this step helps me to do, now obviously I did a fourth and a fifth step and I saw the grosser manifestations of this, but this helps me to live in a way in which I don't treat people as commodities in my daily life. It helps me to see you as a spiritual being rather than an extension of my ego. And it helps me to live as if you are a spiritual being rather than an extension of my ego. So I can come here and I can hear you. And I can be present to what you have to say. And I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say next or how I'm going to better top what you had to say. But I can hear what your heart and your soul is telling me because it's my job to be of service to you. It is my job to bring love and tolerance into my relationship. It is my job to ask how I can best serve God. 
And the way that I've learned that I can best serve God is by loving His children. I mean, I can I can plant a tree and I can I can clean up the streets and I can do that and I can serve God on all those little levels. But I find that my greatest rewards are serving His children. And the funny thing is, is that I'm one of those people that uh, like I could be sitting on the bus and somebody will just walk up to me and they'll say, like, my grandma died and my life's a mess and diapers took my children and I don't know what to do. And I'm just sitting there like, I said hi. <laughs> I smiled at you. Whoops. But I found that by doing this work and having the spiritual experience that I have, that it makes it so that when I look at people, people realize that I want to hear what they have to say and that I'll listen. And so what I find is, is that I'll be outside, you know, at school and I'll be smoking a cigarette, which I no longer do. Um, and uh, somebody will walk up to me and say, you know, I have a raging eating disorder and I just got out of the psych ward. And I'm like, aren't you on my history class? <laughs> and, you know, they're like, I see you around here all the time. You know, and someone will just start talking to me. You know, I don't know how many times somebody, you know, people have walked up to me and said, I think I'm an alcoholic. You know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I think I can help you with that one. You know, um, and that's because of the steps. Because I can walk through my day and, and nine times out of ten, ten, I'm not clouded by my own self. I can be a servant of God and people can see that and feel safe with me. You know, when I was drinking and when I was, before I worked the steps, I was very spiritually sick. And people saw that. They talk about it in the book. They say that, they say that, um, that people see that we're looking to see what we can get out of things. And that we try to snatch what we can get out of the show and people see that and they act accordingly. It talks about that in pages 60 to 63. By having had a spiritual awakening and by doing this work and living this step on a daily basis, on a daily basis, people do see when you're not behaving that way as well. It used to be that people used to batten down the hatches when they saw me coming and like, God damn it, Carrie's coming. Oh! She's going to be mean. She's going to steal from me. I know she's going to insult me. And like dealing with me was like dealing with a porcupine. You know, you're like, you knew that I was going to get you. And you might not know, like one of the things that I used to do is like I would insult people and they wouldn't realize that they were insulted till I left the room. You know, and they'd be like, they'd walk away from having a conversation with me and they felt like, you know, I'd taken a little razor knife and I slashed them in the belly and they're like, why are my intestines on the floor? Oh, Carrie left. You know, and this is what I did to the people I supposedly loved. <laughs> you know, dealing with me and, you know, living with me and interacting with me was sort of like interacting like a porcupine, with a porcupine, not to insult porcupines. Um, and what this step has enabled me to do and what this step has done for me is to really be able to be of service to God and not to do those things to the people that I love. I didn't want to hurt you. I stole from people all the time. I didn't steal your money. I stole your spirit. I stole your time. I stole your love. And this is my opportunity, or part of part of the process, which gives me the opportunity to give back the things that I stole. And what people what people begin to realize when you live this way and you're clear, um, is that you're safe for them to talk to and to be vulnerable with, even if it's only for five minutes. And I've never been safe with people in my life. You know, in this process, and specifically working this step in a rigorous manner, has enabled me to be safe for others and for people to feel like I'm safe and that they can talk to me and they can, and that I will hear what they have to say and that I won't judge them. 
you know, because if I have to call my sponsor for every little petty crappy thing that I do all day long, five, six, ten, fifteen times a day, you know, I have no reason or right to judge anybody else <laughs> because there's no delusion about how sick I really am. I'm sick, and there's no delusion. It is I am who I am, and God has restored me to sanity, and this is about as good as it's going to get for now. And there's and I'm perfectly okay with that because I have an accountability in my life, you know, and I'm and I'm okay with with the way that. You know, it, I've heard people, and I'll end with this, I've heard people talk about wanting what they have. And I used to think that's crap. I want what you have. You know, I want to sound like, I want to get up here and I want to sound like Chris. I want to sound like, I want to be funny and pontificate and have everybody think I'm great. I'm not Chris, I'm Carrie. And I'm going to sound like me. And I'm going to be sarcastic and you're going to be like, what the hell was that girl talking about? You know, <laughs> she was a little crazy. Um, but that's okay. You know, because I want what I have in my life, you know, and what I have is that I'm the mother of three children. Um, I go to school full-time. I'm an A student. I'm in the top 1% of my college. Um, I will be graduating very soon, God willing, sooner soon loud. Um, and I don't say that to say Carrie's really smart. What I say is this, is Carrie dropped out of school in 10th grade. Carrie doesn't have anything greater than the 8th grade education because Carrie stopped going to school in eighth grade. Based on Carrie's will, Carrie drinks and watches Flipper on you know, on TV land. That's what I do. What this program has done for me is when I first came, the first time I came to this meeting, I was I had just had I just gotten my GED and I was really embarrassed because you know I'm going coming to this meeting, there's a lot of educated people here and I used to be so embarrassed that I didn't have an education and that I dropped out of school, and that I wasn't as smart as I felt everybody was here. And everybody said, you know, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And their encouragement helped me to do this. And so today, you know, I get to tutor other people and help other people who didn't think that they could do it, who didn't think they could make it at college, who didn't think that they could do these things in their life. You know, and it's not because I'm special, it's because I've gained access to a power greater than myself. And that I'm not so blocked by my own selfishness and fear every darn day that I actually have the energy to put into doing other things like going to school, doing my homework, taking care of my kids, helping my kids with their homework, helping my husband, cleaning the house. I recently moved in with my mother-in-law because she has emphysema and she can no longer work and she's going to leave the house. So my husband and I gave up our house and we moved in with her and I take care of her and uh, my brother-in-law who's also mentally ill. So I take care of my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law, my husband, my three children and my numerous sponsees. And so there's a lot of tent stepping going on. On the other hand is God has enabled me to be able to be of service in a broader sense. You know. It, it's one thing to be of service to show up with a plate of cookies for somebody every now and then. It's another thing to clean up after people who cannot take care of themselves. It's another thing to serve people on that level and to do it on a daily basis. And to do it because it's, because it's the right thing to do. And because it was put before you and God asked you to do it. And God asked me to do this. You know, my mother-in-law really needed my help. You know, and I, I didn't want to do it, but I knew that sitting with my sponsor, taking into meditation, this is what I was supposed to do. And carrying the vision of God's will in my life today 
and asking God to help me to be of service to those around me, to help people who cannot help themselves, to be an example of God's will. You know, that to me is the greatest gift I can ever be given. You know, so does it mean long hours and does it mean taking care of people that and not having a lot of personal time? Yeah. Isn't it a great reward? Absolutely. And this step helps me to be of service to those around me and not be petty and resentful for the little things. For the people who spill sugar on the counter. For people who take my parking spot. Or who don't value the work I do. You know, because my life really isn't about me. And this step helps me to live as if it's not. Thank you for letting me share. I guess we open it up. You need to open it up?